There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Happy New Year. How did you get on? Did you survive it? Um, have you, are you sitting like me? Well, I'm recording this, of course, in December. So I'm just wondering how much weight will I have put on over Christmas? You see, I love Christmas. I love all the presents and the joy and the food and a bit of a rest and the books. But then January just seems to linger. Um, I need to come up with some fun things in January, I think, that really just pull me out of it, that don't involve dieting and exercise. Because, well, they're not fun, are they? But they're kind of essential at the beginning of the year. But anyway, Happy New Year. Uh, here I am. I'll be back properly next week, not with anything pre-recorded. Um, but I wanted to talk to you this week because my goodness, let me tell you about this book. So the format today is going to be a bit different. There's one book that I want to talk to you about uh, and I really want to talk to its author. It's author, the author of the book. Then I'm going to announce my books of the year. And then I want to tell you about the books I'm excited about for this year as well. So all, all good stuff, I think. Um, now, this book is called Wahala by Nikki May. And it's out because it was published on the 6th of January. So you can get hold of it now. My goodness, everybody is talking about this book. And when I first heard about it, I was just like, wow, so many people bidding to be able to publish this book. Um, Paula Hawkins had said that she loved it. Uh, let me read you the blurb first of all. Um, Ronki, Simi, Boo are three mixed race friends living in London. They have the gift of two cultures, Nigerian and English, though they don't all choose to see it that way. Everyday racism has never held them back, but now in their 30s, they question their future. Ronki wants a husband. He must be Nigerian. Boo enjoys, correction, endures, stay-at-home motherhood, while Simi, full of fashion career dreams, rolls her eyes as her boss refers to her urban vibe yet again. When Isabel, a lethally glamorous friend from their past, arrives in town, she is determined to fix their futures for them. Cracks in their friendship begin to appear, and it is soon obvious Isabel is not sorting, but wrecking. When she's driven to a terrible act, the women are forced to reckon with a crime in their past that may just have repeated itself. Um, 
And it says up here and, you know, I think I think it's as good as analogy as possible that this is a book. This is Sex and the City with a killer edge for fans of Queenie, Expectation and My Sister, the Serial Killer. Yeah, I agree. It's not the same. It's different. It's its own book. Um, but I guess that's the best way of describing it. Let me read you the first sentence. Um, oh, I don't know. Well, it starts. Uh, OK, I'm going to read you two first sentences. So it starts with a section entitled Aftermath. Am I strong enough? The woman sits huddled in the corner of her bedroom. Um and then I'm not going to read you anymore. Actually, I'm just going to let say read it. It is fresh. It is funny. You learn about it. There's so much about sort of Nigerian traditions that I'm just not aware of. Um, that you know, from the food to the music. There's a Spotify playlist as well that you can listen to uh, to go along with the book. Um, it's written with sort of energy, vibrancy, and yes, it's got this a sort of um, oh, this sort of stranger element to it as well uh, when Isabel is introduced to us and uh, all, all that she all that she brings to the party. Um, I thought it was just a great book, good read, um, really a great one to start the new year as well. Characters that you care about, um, that you get cross with, that you pull your hair out about them and you're just with them. I'd love to hear the audiobook of this um, because I can I would hope that it that is narrated beautifully as well. It, it's a great yeah, if if you enjoyed Queenie, you'll love this. And if you didn't enjoy Queenie, then well, if you haven't read Queenie, try that one as well. Um it's just a great contemporary read. It's um it's superb, absolutely superb. And enough about me. Let's talk to the author, Nikki May, now. So, Nikki May, author of Wahala, welcome to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Thank you, Philippa. It's such a privilege to be on your show. I've listened loads and I'm just glad you're having me. Your book is hot news, we have to say. People are talking about it. There was a nine-way auction. What, what made you want to write this glorious book? I've always wanted to write, but I think everybody says that. And I remember saying to friends, oh, I want to write a book. And they'd roll their eyes and say, yeah, right. And I did write for a living. I worked in advertising most of my working life and I wrote lots of copy. But writing to a brief and writing boring copy about telecoms or about mindfulness is very different from writing fiction. But one day I went for a long and very loud lunch with some friends at a Nigerian restaurant in London wine was involved I confess <laughs> and on the long train home to Dorset I kind of started thinking about my two cultures and I just started sketching out three characters and a scene and I'd written the first scene before I got to my stop and remarkably the first scene of the book which I got which got a deal three years later is almost identical to the first words I wrote on that train journey and then it just sort of poured out of me and in six months I had a draft because a lot of writing is in editing. Mm. Yes, I hadn't realised that till I did this podcast. I just thought you wrote a book and that was it. But I wish. <laughs> and Wahala in Nigeria means trouble. Yeah, it's pitching English for trouble and yeah. you hear it all the time. There's not a day in Lagos when you don't hear Wahala at least 10 <laughs> times, usually with a groan or a sigh. So did you always know that that was the title of the book? Was that clear from the beginning? 
after my first draft, I I kind of knew what the story would be, but I fell in love with my characters. So my first draft had lots more lunches, lots more wine bars, lots more talking about clothes and food and gossip, and nothing really happened. And I put it away and I thought, one night I woke up and I realised what these girls needed was wahala. They needed trouble. And the word almost just, it was like in bright lights in front of me, give them lots of wahala. And that's when the title came and also the plot came. And I was actually really surprised when it ended up being called wahala, because obviously it doesn't really mean anything here in the whole of West Africa it's ubiquitous but both my editors here and in the states thought the title really worked and I think it sort of sounds like what it is Wahala sounds like trouble Mm. and it's very easy to pronounce so I'm thrilled I'm literally over the moon that it's going to be called Wahala when it comes out. Uh, Yeah I can imagine the word really taking on uh, a meaning in other cultures as well and uh, yeah it's a it's a great way to say all. It is and when you first decided to add in some wahala, some trouble to your characters who were just enjoying their lunches and their girl chats, how did they respond to that? Well, it was because I knew my character so well. I can't, I mean, I really, I had a spreadsheet that was taller than me. I knew their first kiss, their inside leg measurement, their favourite colours, things I would never, ever need to use in the book. But I just felt I had to actually know them. So they were almost like real people. They, they lived in my head. And therefore, I kind of knew how they'd react to different things. And somebody gave me a author gave me this really good piece of advice and she said do the worst thing you can to each of them which I know is evil and horrible yeah. but that was it and it really I for me it kind of worked and I also knew how they react to whatever trouble I threw in their path and did they did each of the characters you've got Ronke, Simi, Boo all, all big characters in different ways with different issues did they all come to you as a group or sort of one by one did they introduce themselves At this lunch, I think there were about eight of us at this lunch and they were all all these loud voices competing for attention and we're all very different. But the one thing all the girls at that lunch had in common was we had we were we had feet in both Nigeria and England. Either we were mixed race or we'd lived in both or we had family in both. And I think these it's not autobiographical at all, but there are bits of me in each of the girls. I dropped out of medical school like Simi. I struggled hard to fit in like Boo. I used to straighten my hair. I used to tweak my name and I made sure my accent when I moved to England when I was 20, I made sure that I made my voice sound like I fitted in. And like Roncare, my English family, my English grandparents wanted nothing to do with me. So there are bits of me in all the girls, but there are also little bits of my friends I've got a friend called Maxine whose house is full of scatter cushions so they became Ronka's scatter cushions I've got friends who are such fashionistas and I'm always jealous of their wardrobe so I gave a bit of that to Simi so I think they're sort of amalgamations of people I know and of me so they're not one person but that's how I could almost make them feel like living breathing characters and they're clearly very separate different characters in the book but in your mind and in the journey of writing again was that easy to do as as they made themselves known 
It was relatively easy. I think the hardest thing was because I write in three different points of view and it's like a carousel. You go wrong, care, boo, simmy, wrong, care, boo, simmy. The hard thing was continuity. And if I knew now what I knew then, I'm not sure I'd have made my life quite so complicated (laughs) because you sort of had to have things unveil themselves in the right order and remember who knows what and who doesn't know what. So that was a bit of a nightmare. But to be perfectly honest, the girls were so alive in my head that keeping them separate and keeping their characteristics very different really wasn't hard. And what I found interesting is that you can have a culture as your background or you can have two people with the same culture as their background and yet they are different they take different parts of that culture with them and I think that the book it's not preaching or educating it just sort of takes you alongside and helps you realize that as you're reading Philippa if you're in front of me I would hug you for spotting that because to me that is such an important thing being mixed race can be really complicated you know there's different aspects of it and we're also not a monolith we're not one thing we can experience both our two cultures in such different ways and have such different opinions on our heritage and what constitutes home and I really wanted to get that across because I've got friends who have exactly the same racial makeup as me who think Nigeria is this scary, frightening place who would never go there. And I've got others with exactly the same makeup who are so Nigerian that they only eat jollof rice so they couldn't imagine. So I think it, I, I did think it was an interesting way of showing that being mixed race is almost a unique experience and the other thing is so many times people decide what they think I am so people decide whether I'm being too white or being too black or not being white enough or not being black enough and nobody actually asks how do you identify they just make an opinion well we've decided you should be like that and I think it I do think being mixed race is a mixed bag in the end of it it's great we definitely got the long straw two homes is twice the joy but I did want to try and explain that this whole mixed race thing is more more complicated than people might think. And that's why, um, you know, my children are mixed race. And that's why I went to my daughter and said, you have to read this book. Because it is, it's about creating your own identity and being comfortable in who you are. It's not about labels. Exactly. And it's about you can be two things because I actually my voice changes a little bit when I go to Nigeria, my syntax changes. And when I'm with um, when I'm in meeting, when I was in advertising, I know my voice got slightly posher and people tend to think you're putting it on, but you're not. It's just that these two things live inside you. And it took me a long time to be totally comfortable with both parts of my culture. And hopefully I think things are getting better and I hope they are. But it's, it's I think it's good to have both and to embrace both and this isn't just staying as a book as well I mean this is this is big news there's there's tv there's film crew what tell tell me how how big of an education are you giving the world Nikki it is just phenomenal Philippa it's almost I still pinch myself to believe it's true but even before the book deal was announced I was talking to people about book to film or book to tv and I confess that as I was writing it I did see it as a tv series a sort of big little lies or sex in the city with brown people was at the back of my head and some of the scenes I 
I could actually almost see on TV, like the Owen Bear scene or the or Simi's birthday or the birthday party for Sophia. But anyway, it's going to be made into a six-part TV series by the BBC. And Liz Kilgariff, who's the producer, is just a legend. She did Bodyguard, she did Looser, she did The Cry. So she is just a megastar. And the script is being written as we speak by BAFTA nominated Teresa Coco. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, wonderful, amazing stuff. And almost the best thing about the TV is I have very little to do with it. They're keeping me informed. They're being very collaborative, but it's totally up to them. And sometimes people say, but don't you care? And I was like, no, it's great. I just can't wait to see how they take my baby and make it their baby. Plus, I know nothing about making TV programs, so I'm quite happy for the experts to have at it. So you're not one of these authors that say, I have to be on set every day. No. I do want to turn up if there's a party or if there's a good scene, lots of food, but only as a spectator. And I'll probably insist on a chair that says exactly perfect, just so I can take a selfie to show my (laughs) mum. And is there any idea of when this, when we might be able to watch this? I don't think anything's confirmed, but I think the plan is to shoot back end of next year and have it on on our screens early in 2023. Wow, that's so exciting. I'm so thrilled for you. Thank you. What I love about the book as well, or what I seem to take from it, is that you can have a person who, when they're in a group of people, they're one thing. And yet when they're on their own, they're different. And we're probably all like that, the masks that we wear and, and the roles that we play. Um, but that came through from the book for me as well. That's another really good spot. And I think it happens when you've got a close-knit group of friends, that when you're in that group, you kind of you, you act slightly differently. I think there's also the thing that you can say things to your closest friends that you wouldn't say to anyone else. So some of the things that are, you know, slightly rude, slightly edgy. If you're with a group of people who you love and who you know love you, you're sort of freer. They're not the sort of things you'd say if you were in a big party or a big group. And I also think that women are flawed. Well, all humans are flawed, but women who are more complicated than men, they really are, are slightly more flawed. And I wanted my characters to be real. I didn't want these perfect people. So they make stupid mistakes. They do silly things. But I think real women do that. And I think women can be bitchy and still be lovely people. And then you take this group of friends and you introduce Isabel, uh, who, you know, we don't know what, why is she there? Can we trust her? Did you, did you enjoy writing her? I loved Isabel. I mean, she really is the Wahala of the title, isn't she? And I think I have to confess that whilst I was writing, Killing Eve was on and Villanelle was definitely somewhere as this spectre. I mean, she's just such a wonderful, wonderful character. And certainly the wardrobe for Villanelle. It just, you know, I sit there with lust looking at their wonderful clothes. And I think that seeps subliminally into my writing as well. And I just love Isabel. I love the size. Boober lunch. I love the, the. I would. I would absolutely love to have Vadim, a bodyguard come chauffeur, would be my idea of heaven. So she was a really fun character. But there's also, I mean, it's obviously fiction. But there are a group of very, very ridiculously rich Nigerians who actually act as if they own the world and who honestly think they're above the law. So in some ways, although it's fiction, it is drawing on stuff that does happen. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that that's a true reflection of another aspect of the culture then. I know people, well, maybe not know, but know of people who have never, ever flown steerage in an aeroplane from the day they were born till they're, and, you know, these are young people have always flown club and they have this whole feeling that they are better than other people, that they are entitled on a scale. And I suppose we have them in every culture, to be honest. You only have to look around here and we do have a few over entitled people in our country that's that's absolutely true um and I'm interested as you were writing did you make any sort of major changes you say obviously it was different once you introduced Wahala but from once you'd done that were there more big changes or did that set you straight it pretty much set me straight. I mean, there was I, when I queried agents, my novel was too long. I think I was about 110,000 words and we lost 20. So there was a lot of trimming. Editors love to trim. They just go there, snip, snip, sniffing, <laughs> trimming all these wonderful words you've written. But no, it was really about making the flow better, making the pacing better. But structurally, I had very few structural edits. There are a few people you had to put a bit more on the page so you got to see them. So after the first draft, Kaya Day wasn't on the page enough so we didn't get enough of him so we so I did some work to strengthen him but no I think I was quite lucky by fluke my first draft well not my first draft but after I'd added the Wahala that draft had a pretty good structure that has pretty much stayed till now. I mean I'm seeing all sorts of t-shirts jumpers Wahala you know I can just I can just I really can. I'm interested in when you were writing the book and you say it was on uh, after this wonderful lunch that that really gave you the push. But what was the journey in then getting published? So I wrote this draft in six months and then I read it back and I printed it out and it was a lot of paper, read it and then almost felt embarrassed that I'd wasted all this paper. And the worst thing is because I'd mentioned I'm writing a book, people would ask, so how's that book going? And you'd be like, oh, just change the subject. So I put it away, left it in a drawer for about six months until this night when Wahala popped into my head and I dug it out and furiously replotted it, redrafted it. And I had a second draft that I was so much happier with. And then I entered a few amateur competitions. These are competitions for unpublished writers. So I entered a few of them and I got longlisted in the Blue Pencil competition and longlisted in the Yeovil Literary Prize. And then I won the Grindstone competition. And in these competitions, they just judge you on the first three chapters. So they haven't seen the whole book. But the judge of the Grindstone was, uh, was an agent and she said, I'd really love to see the finished manuscript. So I went through it one more time and then I thought, go for it. So I queried eight agents. This was in February 2020, so just before lockdown. And I thought that it would take months and months because I've been told, you know, you send it out and weeks later you get rejections. So I really wasn't thinking about it. Went out to walk my dogs after I'd sent the email. And three hours later, I got a call saying, can I see the full manuscript? Oh, my God. And by the end of the week, I had six agents offering representation, which it was just mental. Luckily, it was before lockdown. So I hopped on a train, went to London, actually got to meet people face to face and picked the Madeleine Milburn Literary Agency because it just felt like this powerhouse with this family. Did a few months of editing with them over lockdown. And then in July, I think it was, it went on submission to publication to publishers. 
letters. And I have to be honest, I knew so little about this process that I didn't know what submissions were. I didn't know how it worked. I just, you know, stayed walking my dogs and let them get on with it. And then crazily went to a nine-way auction in the UK and a six-way auction in the States. And then I started Zooming with book-to-film producers. So it's just been a complete whirlwind, crazy, but wonderful journey the other thing about publishing is everything takes so long Mm. so you get your agents then it takes another six months before you go on submission you get your book deal and then it takes 18 months before your book is released so I'm I'm so glad I'm now at the pointy end and I can actually see a book and feel it in my hand yes and by the time this is this is out your book will be out a few days before which is so exciting I'm timing it to come out in in the week so people can press buy immediately and go to their bookshop and and buy it um a lot of people say that they end up choosing the agent that they met first which is why a lot of agents seem very keen to meet people at odd hours so that they're the first ones through the door it was did that apply to you it didn't I think I met the age I think I'm with the agent I met last which wow it's so difficult I mean I could I had six amazing offers and I think I'd have been perfectly happy with any of them it literally came down to Madeline Milburn the agency just felt like a family and it felt like everybody in the agency got really involved and when I worked in advertising it was a small agency that had a family feel so I think I just felt most comfortable in that environment. What's been the biggest surprise so far? I think the biggest surprise is how nice book people are. I mean, they are just lovely people. I mean, people like you who do these podcasts, bloggers, they're so kind and caring and sharing. And there's none of this competitiveness and they're sort of willing each other on. Other authors are lovely. I just the people in publishing seem to be lovely. I think my biggest shock is just how lovely this industry is. Oh, that's very kind of you to say that. Well, we all just, we love books. So uh, yeah, especially good ones. I think that's it. Yeah, (laughs) I think it truly is a love of books. It's, and it's not, it is commercial, obviously it's a business, but I do think they're united in a love of books and even publishers that I didn't end up going with or agents I didn't end up going with have still been so supportive and sort of rah, rah, rah in the background. So that's just been joyful. I do think book lovers are a very particular tribe of people. I, I don't trust people who don't read. That's yeah. a really good maxim. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Yes. What's the? It, it's probably hard to choose, but if you had to choose one step of the journey so far, what's been the, the absolute highlight for you? The absolute highlight was getting the phone call we're getting the phone call three hours after I'd sent it saying I love it can I read some more because up till then the only person who had read my work was my husband nobody else had read it so you literally are kind of one minute you look at it and think I think there's something here the next minute you look at it and think it's complete crap and the other thing about writers is self-doubt is part of the process I am yet to meet a writer who is full of confidence and knows their work is great we all sit there thinking feeling our work is rubbish no matter what happens you know you get a really good deal and you're still like oh my god I'm I'm a fraud so I think knowing that other people liked my work was just and still is every time someone says I read Wahala and I loved it I literally feel a warmth go through me it's just such a lovely feeling 
And to have it within three hours of sending it back from a dog walk, it's incredible. You, you know, you almost pick up the phone thinking it's a sales call and get exactly. quite Exactly, and then you're leaping them. around the house <laughs> like a complete lunatic scaring the dogs. Is there pressure to do book two? Oh, God, yeah, Philip. Oh, it's, yeah. it's intense. I think the thing with book one is you're writing for yourself. Obviously, you wanted to get published and obviously you wanted to be good, but you have there are no stakes. It's all about you. And also you're you don't know anything. I mean, I didn't know about genres. I, I've, I've always read. I've probably read a book a week all my life, but you don't really think about genre when you're reading. You pick up a book because you like the look of it or because you've read a good review or because someone says they like it. So which is why I've probably got a book that mixes genres which if you knew you wouldn't have done but with book two you know more and there's so much more expectation and you're obviously trying to you're sort of judging it based on book one and obviously I don't want to write the same book all over again so you you'd have thought you won't be as nervous with book two but I'd say you're more nervous there's more expectation and therefore a bit more pressure and obviously there's a deadline which with book one you don't have so and deadlines can work two ways they either propel you forward or they make you go oh my god so and I'm currently the oh my god <laughs> it's of my deadline so is book two how how far into book two are you I've done the shitty draft oh great so yes I've written a very shitty draft which I'm currently unpeeling and putting back together and I I, I do like my book too when I'm not scared of it so <laughs> I'm just I'm at the stage of I think I'm now 30,000 into the second draft of pulling it together so it's in good enough shape to show my agents and my editors and it's not Wahala 2 it's a completely different book it's called Brown Girl in the Ring and it's loosely inspired by Mansfield Park and it's so when Mansfield Park Fanny goes to live with her um, Uh, sort of extended family and taken away from home and in this book my my protagonist is taken away from the home she knows in Lagos and brought to live with her English family at a state well a a sprawling house in Somerset called The Ring hence Brown Girl in the Ring. Wow so so the Nigerian connections uh, uh, come through again with this book but in a completely different way. Yeah I think I think all my books, talking as if I have loads and fingers crossed I will, <laughs> will have people like me in it. I think I've always wanted to see people like me in fiction. I, you know, I want to see brown people front and central, not as big parts. So I think, and and it does, so again, with Brown Girl and Ring, there'll be a play on prejudice, on place, on race, on class. But I do want all those things to be texture rather than banging people on the head with it. So hopefully I've got a really nice, juicy story that just happens to have as a texture and a background class race prejudice that sort of thing how exciting and is there a a, do we have an idea of when that might come out um I think they I have no idea is the honest answer (laughs) Philippa but I assume it'll be sort of 18 months after book one yes I imagine if they're if they're clever it'll be timed quite well with the tv series (laughs) <laughs> but we'll, Fingers but we'll crossed. see. We'll see. And you've even got a Spotify playlist that I was listening to. It's brilliant. I love oh, thank it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I had such fun putting that together. And there's some, there's some of the songs are actually in the book, like We Are Family, and other songs are just really lovely songs that I think 
talk to the characters in the book, but it was such good fun putting it together. And it's hashtag Wahala book. Is that, is yes, that right? On yes. Spotify, yeah. Yes. And it's great. I think I went back and started rereading the book, listening to the music and it, it it doesn't change, but it just adds to it even more. I thought it was, it was a, a oh, lovely thing. Oh, thank you. And the first track in there, Fella Kuti. Fella Kuti is, I guess, he's like our Elvis Presley in West Africa. I mean, he's he's dead now, but he's a legend. You know, he's just, he's wonderful. He's this pers- full of life personality, a real James Brown kind of funky sound. And he's, his song is in the very first scene. So he's, he's the first song of the playlist. And it was such fun putting it together. Oh, that that is wonderful. Now, I don't say anything about the ending of the book, but I do have to ask, will we ever meet any of the characters in Wahala again? Or is uh, uh, will we not? <laughs> never say never, but if I mean, oh, my, my gut reaction would be no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Oh, how intriguing. Well, I just, I'm so excited to see the response of this book and uh, it's, it's just going to take off. It's, I, I know, it's just going to be brilliant and you deserve all of it because it's brilliant. So Nikki May, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Philippa. This has been such good fun. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
So now we go to my books of the year. Now, this has been hard because there's been so many books and I started off thinking I was going to give you 20. But then I thought for you just to sit there listening to me talk about 20 books, that's going to be a bit boring. So then I was going for 10. But when I got to 10, I thought, no, I want it to be 12. So my excuse is there are 12 months in the year and that's why I've got 12 books. It's terrible, isn't it? But here we go. These are not in any order. They're just the order I've written them down because they're all lovely in different ways. Now, the first five I'm going to give you are ones that are part of a series. Um, it's not saying you have to go back and start at the beginning, but just they're ones that are my firm favourites, my auto buys. And uh, so I just wanted to flag that up. So the first one, of course, is Dead Ground by M.W. Craven. Um, I don't think I need to go on about these because I've gone on about Mike Craven's books so much. They're detectives. Um, you've got Tilly and Poe. Tilly is not your average person helping the police. Um, Poe, again, is not your average person working for the police. Uh, it's primarily based in the Lake District, but um, in different places as well. They're well written. They're characters you care about. They're intriguing crimes, brilliantly portrayed, page turners at their best. Dead Ground, M.W. Craven. The next one is The Devil's Advocate by Steve Kavanagh. Again, I've talked to you so much about Steve and his books. They're superbly written. They're based in America um, with, the author, with the lawyer, Eddie Flynn. And Eddie um, employs all sorts of tactics to win a case for his client where, it, where it's the right thing. Uh, and he gets involved, you know, the book opens. I'm doing all this from memory. This is, in, I'm quite proud, proud of myself. But the book opens with this scene of someone, you know, of, of the death penalty happening and, uh, and introduces us to a character that you might not like that much. And it's up to Eddie Flynn to sort things out. So that's the devil's advocate, Steve Kavanagh. The next one that's one of my top ones is The Trawler Man by William Shaw. This is part of a series, but for me, and it's a detective series, sensing a theme here. All the books are really well written, but this one was a game changer um, because there were issues of mental health, PTSD, um, therapy in there. It, it was... I just thought it was really good, top rate. Um, another one in the series is Cara Hunter's The Whole Truth. Um, and these are ones that are brilliantly written, include different types of media. They're, it's a British police um, trying to solve various crimes. Each one is compelling, engaging. And as I say, the latest one is The Whole Truth. I thought it was really good. And then, of course, my final one of the series has to be Ellie Griffiths. And for this book, I chose The Dark Angel, but I cannot wait to read her next one about how we meet Ruth and how she's coping in, in lockdown. So those are my five series um, and, and the books that really stand out for me. I, I can't wait to read more of these authors' books in 2022. But what else did I include? What were the ones that I haven't read? Or, you know, even if they're part of a series, um, there's one certainly that I'm including that is part of a series, but I haven't read them all. So I'm treating that as a standalone because for me, that that's how it was. Um, now, the first one has to be, of course, Mrs. Benson Beetle by Rachel Joyce. I know a lot of you have uh, enjoyed reading or listening to that book. Uh, we had Rachel on as well and spoke to her. 
It's interesting, actually. I think all of these are ones. Oh, no, not all of them are ones that I've interviewed the author, but quite a few. Um, I just think Mrs. Benson's Beetle starts out at what you think will be this comforting story about a woman embarking on a search for a beetle. And it turns into something much more full of life than, than you can possibly imagine with twists and turns along the way. Um, it's a glorious book about womanhood, friendship um, and, and the ups, of ups and downs of seeking what your heart desires. Think we could say so there we go the next book i'm choosing is space hopper and this is written by helen fisher this is a book i think just everyone has to read but read it fully don't stop keep going um it's an engaging book it's a sad book it's a, a memorable book it's a beautiful book really enjoyed that one and then the next one and this is the one that was the part of a series that I hadn't read them all The Law of Innocence by Michael Connolly um, I referred to this very recently was it only last week about a, another book so The Law of Innocence um, we hear some of Bosch a detective but we also hear the Lincoln lawyer and I love books about lawyers I don't know why court cases but this one is a, an added dimension because the lawyer is um, arrested and charged with the crime and is in prison and he's having to try and solve the crime himself in prison with the pandemic fast approaching um, as I say I listened to the audiobook of it Absolutely first class, really good. I, I just thought it was sensational. The next one is one I reviewed fairly recently, Wish You Were Here by Jodie Pico. Uh, that for me, again, it's a book about COVID. There's a theme here, but then we are in the middle of COVID. So there we go. Um, but it's a book that I will not forget that I'm talking to people about. It, it starts off as one thing and then things happen. I'm not saying any more. You've got to be able to cope with reading about COVID to read this book. But if you can, do read it. I think it's such um, a brave, honest, wonderful book. Then the next one is, it turns out to be the start of a series, but it was the first one. And that's The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson. Um, a, again, a great detective story, quite gruesome in places, brilliantly plotted, superbly written, absolutely first class. The next one is a history book. Get me. And uh, it's called The Smallest Man by Francis Quinn. Um, I'm not a huge fan of history books, as you know, but The Smallest Man I found was well written and engaging and uh, really stood out to me. And then finally, the book I'm ending with is a YA. And it's one that it just it just warmed the cockles of my heart. I loved it. A Snowfall of Silver by Laura Wood. Um, it's a story about a, a, a young girl who sort of going out, making, starting her life, making it what she is. Um, she works with a traveling group of actors. It's just lovely. Um I loved it. Just a, a lovely, warming book. If you're a fan of Evie Epworth, The Miseducation of Evie Epworth, then I think you'll be a fan of A Snowfall of Silver. Just thought it was great. So those are my 12 books. I've whipped through them, but I don't want to spend lots of time going on about them because I've gone on about them already to you. But those are my 12 books. So the questions that I've been given, someone sent me three questions. I thought, well, yeah, OK, let's answer these. 
first question is, what are my reading plans for this year? I don't. Yes, I've got set in stone books that I'm interviewing the author. So I need to read those books and books that I know are coming out and I've kindly been sent proof. So I will read those books. But apart from that, I don't like planning everything because then I don't enjoy the books as much. I want to suddenly think, oh, I fancy reading a more traditional book or, oh, I fancy a mystery book or a check. Do you know what I mean? I just want to be able to pick up. And let's just say, let's just say I have enough books to choose from in my TBR. My to be read pile is in the many hundreds. So it's not as if I need to then go out and try and find a book to read. I've got plenty here. So I'm just looking forward to reading more books. Um, how many books will I read? How many books will I read? I dread to think. I don't know how many books I've read this year. So many. I mean, on average, I'm doing at least five a week. So that's a lot of books. Um, but if it just helps to give you a couple of pointers, then I've, I've done my job. And then the last question is, what books am I excited about? You know me, I'm excited about almost every book. There are some that I don't like. And I think you'll have heard me being a bit more honest as time's gone by about the ones that I that I don't like. Um, but I'm really excited about let's just look at the ones like the author interviews that I've got coming up. Um, I've got. Oh, yes. Sarah Bonnet, her perfect twin. I'm really, really keen to talk to Sarah about that book. Um, we've got Janice Hallett, the Twyford Code. Uh, coming on. Of course, she wrote The Appeal and I really can't wait to interview her. We've got Ellie Griffiths coming on to talk about the new Ruth book about her being in lockdown. That, that's going to be great. Um, we've got, oh yes, we've got Sophie Hannah and her new book, um, which I'm looking forward to reading. Now, I should know the name of that book and I don't. But that's because I haven't been sent it yet. But anyway, Sophie Hannah's written a new book, which is going to be great. Oh, we've got Val McDermott coming on about her book that's coming into paperback, 1979. We've got Linwood Barclay coming back on because he was such a good, interesting person to interview. I really enjoyed speaking to him. We've got David Baldacci coming on. That's going to be really good. We've got Rosemary Schrager coming on. Can you believe that? Rosemary has written her first fiction book and it's sort of a, a mystery, murder mystery. So that's going to be great. We've got Sarah Vaughan coming back on. The interview with her, I thought, was, well, it really, it was significant for me um, because some of the themes that she'd been writing about in her last book. So I really want to talk to Sarah. We've got Craig Robertson coming on. We've got Eve Smith, who wrote... Oh, the book, The Waiting Rooms, originally. Well, she's written her next one. That looks interesting. Um, all, all sorts of interesting ones. So that takes us up well into April. So hopefully there have been some there. Um, that What is funny? I'll tell you about this. So uh, Margaret Atwood is publishing a book. And I thought, oh, I, I would equally love to interview Margaret Atwood. And equally, I would be so scared of what to say to her. Um, but obviously she's not doing a lot of interviews. So I have written a poem to her as my pitch. Um, so if if it is that I get to interview Margaret Atwood this year, 
my poem would have been a success. But considering, and I did write this to her, considering the last poem I wrote was when I was about 10 years old and was asked to write a poem about autumn. So everybody wrote one about the coloured falling leaves. Uh, Did you have to do that? I certainly did. So that was the last poem I'd written. Uh, And so if she doesn't come on, it's because my poem was so bad, which actually now I've read it again, I do think it is. But my poem was so bad that she looked at it and thought she she there's no way she's coming on. But there's some exciting potential things. There's some book events. There might be a live recording of the podcast at a literature festival in this year. There's all sorts of things. There's all sorts of possibilities. I'm just not assuming anything. And it might be that one of the authors I've mentioned to you, maybe that poorly, they can't record. So there are going to be changes. But Listen, I just love talking to you about books. I love books. I love how they can just take you away from all that's going on. And so I can't wait to talk to you. So I will be back next week. I'll be able to tell you how my Christmas went and how my new year went. And I just can't wait to talk to you and interview more authors and just keep reading. So there we go. I've waffled. This is me signing off. Look after yourselves and I'll speak to you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.